Welcome to the Redeemer Central podcast. Redeemer Central is a church community in Belfast seeking to practice the way of Jesus and work for the peace and good of our city. For more information, please visit RedeemerCentral.com. I sometimes think when we have times of worship like we had this morning that if we actually believed everything we sang, there would be no need to preach. <laughs> um, and that was so beautiful this morning. It, it deeply blessed my soul. And that hungry song, um, that's an old vineyard, maybe 20 years in the making, maybe longer. And I was really struck as I stood with a thankful heart, thinking of the years I maybe sang it feeling hungry or questioning or wondering. And I come now knowing of a God who loves and welcomes and knowing of his faithfulness. And I I suppose I just wanted to start by testifying to that and saying that if today you're singing it feeling hungry, then there is bread for your soul. If you're singing it this morning because you're wondering whether you fit, you you do fit. And if that's all you take from today, that that will be enough. So... um, Thank you, Dave and Chris and Les. It was truly beautiful. I actually, the old charismatic lady in me stood over there and took her shoes off because <laughs> I felt like I was on holy ground. So, um, but I decided if I kept them off, it might freak you out at the state of my toes. So I, I put my, my shoes back on. Um, We're on the penultimate um, in our series, Liberated by Love, and we're looking at encounters um, with Jesus throughout the Gospels. And my passage this morning is the Great Banquet in Luke 14, um, 12 to 26. And it is an image of the kingdom of God. And so this morning, I want to remind us, as, as Dave spoke last week on what is the Gospel, I want to remind us this morning, what is the kingdom of God? What does it look like? And who shares in the kingdom of God? So in Mark, it'll come up behind me. It's a parable that he told. And in Mark, it says, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. And sometimes when I read the gospel, I think, oh, I wish I'd been there to hear what he actually had to say. He talked to the disciples and explained everything. But for us, we read the parables. And he spoke in parables. And I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only person, but every time I read some of the parables, I take a different meaning. And I think that is me reading them well. I think there are multiple readings. I think if you're... Um, a parent, you will read the story of the prodigal son in different ways, depending on the state of your children. <laughs> it may be that you read a parable about the kingdom dependent on your current situation. So what I'm trying to say is that they are layered stories and they deserve to be interpreted as many meanings, and what I will take from them today perhaps will be different to what I take from them in a week's time, and I invite you to do the same. The real gift of them is to challenge us, to root us right down into our hidden values and our lives, and to crack them open 
and to think differently. So let's allow this parable this morning to open up multiple interpretations for us. Let's look at how it can personally challenge us and let's move away from the idea of I need to work out what it means to what can it remind me of, provoke me of, refine me in, confront me and disturb me. Because if I read the parables of Jesus and I just think there's one meaning, I'm missing the point. There are many layers to it. So let's invite the Spirit this morning to provoke us and to challenge us, and let's do that in conversation with ourselves and with one another, hopefully through the week. Biblical scholars say that a text without a context is just a pretext for making it say anything one wants. I'm going to read that again because I think it's important. A text without a context is just a pretext for making it say anything one wants. We need to understand how the original hearer of these stories must have heard it, and we only understand it when we know the context that it's in. So, we'll come to the passage in a minute, it'll cut up behind me, but the context is that in Middle Eastern times, a traveling rabbi such as Jesus was, he would have been going around the villages and, and teaching and preaching. And people, the, the scholars of the day, the elders of the day would have said, come to dinner in our house. And the reason they asked him was they were going to test him and see, do you really know the law? Do you really understand it? Are you one of us? And so, this is what's happening to see, have you really got a grasp of the Torah? And so in this context, the final fulfillment of the kingdom of God would have been known as a messianic banquet. It happens at the end of the time. And Jesus has been talking about this and he's saying to them, I want you to think about the messianic banquet that has been spoken about in Isaiah chapter seven, but I am going to offer you a new understanding of it. So let's read the passage. It will come up there. Beautiful. Jesus said to his host, so picture the scene. Jesus is traveling with his disciples. He's teaching in the villages. And someone says, come for dinner. And they're all on the seat. They're, they lie on the floor. They read, they talk, they eat. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do you not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors? If you do, they will invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous, this messianic table that will come at the end of time. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And this is where the parable begins. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another one said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, 
Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in. Compel them to come in so that my house may be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. I want to go back to where the messianic banquet was first mentioned in Isaiah 25. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. I'm going to change where I am. In the times of Jesus, how would the hearer have heard this? So in the first part of this story, Jesus is saying to the host, well, you know what you do when you give a luncheon. You don't invite your friends. You invite people that you know are going to invite you back. So you know that you'll be repaid. So he's saying, that's what you normally do. That is not the way of the kingdom. That is not my way. He's saying, I want you to do something slightly different. So let's think about how the hearers in that day would have heard this. So in the, the times of Jesus, there was an Aramaic version of the scripture called the Targum, and it took lots of freedom to the text. And it said that at the Messianic banquet, the Yahweh of hosts will make room for all the peoples on the mountain a meal. They will suppose it is an honor, but it will be a shame for them. Plagues and great places from which they cannot escape will bring them their end. So this was one of the stories that the people of that day will have heard about what the banquet looked like at the end of time. That yes, all the Jews are going to be there, but the Gentiles are going to be there. But don't worry, the plagues are coming. They're gone. Don't worry about it. In the 2nd BC, there was another document called the Book of Enoch. It was worse. It said, yes, there is a banquet. The Jews and the Gentiles are all going to be together. But the angel of death visits. <laughs> And he will destroy every Gentile. And it describes in very disturbing detail that not only will he, will he destroy every Gentile, but all the Jews that are sitting at this beautiful banquet will be bathed in their blood. They will have to wade through the blood and then they will be in the kingdom. What a beautiful one. So they were taking the story of Isaiah that we read, the promise of the messianic banquet, where Jews and Gentiles were welcome and were in the kingdom and saying, no, that's not happening. They're going to be covered in blood. They're going to be destroyed. So there's plagues, there's bloodshed. The third story that would have been floating around to these hearers of the day was from the Qumran community that wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they were the pious Jews, the ones that were utterly obsessed with the law. And so they said that there would be no Gentiles present. In fact, 
okay Jews wouldn't be allowed either. It was only the pious of the pious. So Jews would be allowed to tend, but there would be an order of dignity and no one with any affliction, any illness, any disease, they certainly wouldn't be there. So Isaiah told this beautiful vision of the faithful Jews and Gentiles all together. But these people that were standing listening to Jesus talk about the banquet understood these other stories. And so they were left thinking, no, that's the truth. There'll be bloodshed, there'll be plagues, there'll be harm. It won't be as Isaiah said. Now, when we think about us all being made new with the Lord, perhaps we don't think about the bloodshed or we haven't heard all these stories, but I wonder, I wonder when we think about the end banquet, when we will all be restored into relationship with God, do we still hold ideas about who'll be there and who'll not be there? Do we still hold ideas about who sits at the table, who is welcome here, and who will not be there? And I imagine that if we're really honest and we go into our values and our beliefs and our ideas about faith and about hope and about grace, perhaps we will find as much judgment in it as in these stories that were found in the Qumran and the Dead Sea Scrolls and in the Book of Enoch. So here is Jesus saying, I know what you think about how it's all going to look. I am inviting you into the kingdom of God that starts now and brings heaven to earth. So his, the other thing that is very important that biblical scholars want us to be very clear about is that in the Middle East, when you made an, uh, an invite for dinner, you did it say on Monday, and you said, we're gonna have dinner on Wednesday, can you come? People accepted. Tuesday they did the buying and the cooking. Wednesday was the event. So it was beyond rude and insulting to your host if on Wednesday you suddenly said, I'm not coming. And that is exactly what the first three that were invited did. It would be like me, Stephen and I sitting up on Saturday night expecting eight people to come to the dinner and I get a text at core date, sorry, I've just bought a house, I have to go and look at it. Or... Um, I don't, know what the I don't know anyone in my life who did the equivalent of oxen, but I could find a farmer, I guess, um, who said, I've just bought a herd, I need to go and check them out. And for someone to say, yeah, we got married today, actually, we're too busy, something else is happening. So, so rude, so, so offensive. So Jesus is, is, is saying, not only with the, in this context, it wouldn't be possible if you bought a field in this context, in this day, and in this time, you spent probably a year checking out this, where the sun shone on it, checking how much it yielded, etc., etc. There was no way that someone had bought a field and then had to go and look at it. So this was the ultimate rejection, the ultimate insult to the host. In terms of um, the yoke of oxen, you buy two together, you would never buy five at once, and if you did, you would have been testing them because if you've got two oxen working together and they don't work well together or tire together, it's a disaster. So to say, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out, that wasn't possible. And the third excuse in culturally in that day was the most insulting because women and, and marriage were never spoken about except with honor and dignity and respect. And so to say, I just got married, so I can't come, 
never would have happened. So what is Jesus trying to tell us here? He's trying to tell us perhaps that the host offers out the invitation and some people just reject it. They don't want it. They're not interested. It's not for them. And that is their choice. But the, the servant comes in and he's kind of embarrassed. In fact, he's very embarrassed at how the invites have gone out and his master is being insulted. And the master says, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. So they go and do that because we know that if you invite the poor, the blind and the lame, they will come. They will know they can't repay, but they will come. And Jesus, or the host here could have been insulted and angry, but he turns his anger, which would have been righteous given the level of insult, he turns his anger into grace. Justifiable anger in this host becomes grace. And he says, go and get the crippled, the blind and the lame. Bring them in, bring them in. And then there are still seats. So what does the master say? Go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. The master knows how there are, there are those with no social status and how they will respond. They won't believe they are invited. They won't believe they are wanted. And they cannot believe that they have a place at the table. And in the last stanza of this verse, this singular you is where Jesus is telling the parable and talking about the current. And in verse 24, it is plural you. So at this point, Jesus is speaking to the room and saying, I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. They refused it. They didn't want it. But what Jesus is saying is that all are invited, Jews and Gentiles. And he's saying, I want the messianic banquet that we talk about at the end of time. It's actually started now. I'm speaking to you all and I'm saying the kingdom of God is now. I am the Messiah. I am the Messiah. And I started to think about that little phrase, compel them to come in. Go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in. Because often people who are on the margins of our society, sometimes they put themselves there, sometimes they are there, whether it's by class or status or their beliefs about who they are or what they are or the fact that they don't fit and they are out on the highways and the byways in the old school language that I, is more familiar to me, actually. Um, and so sometimes... People who are on the margins, they don't realize that they're invited in. They don't realize that there is a place at the table for them. And sometimes they need us to be the ones to come and compel them to come in. They need reminded that they are welcome, that they are included, and that they are part of the kingdom of heaven that is now. And often, people will put the judgment on themselves. And so, what I want you to take from this is that the mission of God is to the margins. 
The messianic banquet is saying, go and get the poor, the lame, the rejected, the lonely, the judged, bring them in. And then we've got the table full of them, there's still room. Go and get those who think they can't come, compel them to come. Because it is here and now, my kingdom is new and fresh. It is not something you're gonna to have to wait for, it is starting now, but perhaps you need to be compelled to come in. If you're the one that's on the margin, you need to hear the invite and choose to attend because the judgment that we have is often self-imposed and our choice not to attend and miss the banquet is our own volition. And here Jesus is telling us, come, just come, my house will be full. And I, as I was thinking about this this morning, and thinking about this idea of compel them to come. And I was thinking, well, where am I in this parable? Where are you in this parable? Are you the one that's sitting at the table with views on who else should be at the table? Or shouldn't, who shouldn't be at the table? Are you the one that gives your life to compelling those to come in? Are you the one who spends your days running after the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame? Where are you in the story? Where are you in the story? And this week, I was drawn attention to the, um, the story in Acts chapter 10 about Peter and his vision. And we don't have time to go through it all. But Peter had a vision, and he, he, needed, it, he needed it repeated four times. Please go and read Acts 10. Because sometimes we all sit and we decide who should be here. Peter had a vision in Acts chapter 10 where he saw a big carpet with the, the clean and the unclean meat and who was in and who was not. And again and again, the vision was repeated to remind him, everyone's in, everyone's in. And then Peter gathers other disciples, other followers of Jesus, and they decide to go to the Gentiles they decide to go to the margins, to the ones who are on the outside, to the ones who don't belong, to the ones who they consider wrong. And when they go there, they think they're going to bring them the Spirit of God. And in the last few verses of Acts chapter 10, they're slightly stunned to find the Spirit of God is already there. The Spirit of God is already there. And in these days, I am more and more convinced that the work of the Lord and the actions of the Lord are not here at our table. They are out in the margins. That is where he is at work. And if we are not joining him in that work, we're missing out on the banquet. We're missing out on the beauty. We're missing out on the grace. And we're missing out on the active work of the Lord. And so my invitation to you this morning is, if you're like me and you have ideas about who fits and who doesn't and do I fit and am I good enough and am I this and am I that and all my own stuff that goes on in my head, go to Acts chapter 10 and read the vision. Get the clarity. And remind yourself that if you want to see in this time and in this age where God is at work, he is on the margins. And he calls us to join us to fight for a more just 
society, to fight for a society where women are not murdered in their homes, to fight for a society where children are educated and given opportunities, to fight for a society where all have equal rights and are welcomed. There is so much systemic change needed in our culture, in our city and in our world. And we as the followers of Jesus are invited to go into the margins, join God where he is at work and bring the kingdom of heaven. That, I believe, is one version of this great banqueting story. And I invite you to join into it. The Eucharist reminds us that when we partner with Jesus and we give ourselves to him, we are starting again and again with the banquet, the here and now. I wanted to read this little, this is a great little book. We've taught out of it before, Scott, Mc, Scott McKnight's God's Design for Life Together. But I don't know where you are in the story. I don't know whether you're one who's out in the roads and the country lanes that you're needing compelled to come in because you think you don't fit. I don't know whether you're the one sitting at the table wondering, are you good enough to be here with me? I don't know where you are, but I want to read this little poem that he wrote at the start of this book. No matter what you have done, not because you go to church, not because you read your Bible, not because folks think you're spiritual, and no matter what sins you have committed, no matter how vicious or mean or vile they were, no matter how calloused your heart and your soul have become, God loves you, not because you are good, not because you do good things, not because you are famous or have served others, but because you are you. To you, God has said yes, God is saying yes, and God will eternally say yes. God is for the you that is you. That, I believe, is the message of the gospel. That is the message of the kingdom, and we are all invited in. So now, as we come, the band will come, and we will worship, and we will take Eucharist together and remind ourselves that we are invited to the great banquet in the here and now, and in the now that is to come.